Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Leah Garces, the president of Mercy for Animals. Mercyforanimals.org is the website. Twitter handle is Mercy for Animals or Leah, L-E-A-H underscore Garces, G-A-R-C-E-S. Welcome to the program and thank you for joining us today. I see this article, millions of U.S. farm animals to be culled by suffocation, drowning, and shooting. And and I think most people think that this is really a story about how the coronavirus is disrupting our supply chains and people getting it in meatpacking plants are slowing down the rate at which they can move animals through this factory farm system. But I see this, and I'm guessing you do, as more of an indictment of the way that we are producing our food supply than it is. Your thoughts on this, Leah? Factory farming and these industrial slaughterhouses are being exposed. It's like the emperor has no clothes and they're being exposed as a vulnerable system that treats both workers as expendable and farmed animals as something to be thrown away. So what's happening across the country right now is workers are standing shoulder to shoulder while the rest of us are six feet apart. So it's no surprise these are becoming these are becoming hotspots for COVID-19. And the pandemic is also severely affecting animals. So as the slaughter plants shut down due to worker shortages, there's this backlog of millions of animals who are supposed to be slaughtered. The result is millions of them instead are being slaughtered in farm in these horrific ways and then thrown away like they're trash. Wow. This is front and center right now. But if you talk to people who live in the communities where these giant factory farms are located, you find that pigs are no longer pooping like normal. Instead, it's just continuous diarrhea and you get these giant pools, these lagoons of of waste. The same thing with cows um, that is actually toxic and is contaminating groundwater and is making the air stink miles away, destroying property values communities trying to push back against it. We're not going to flush eating meat out of our culture any day soon, although you know we can all work to minimize it as much as possible. But is a return to small farms, I mean, basically banning factory farms, is that one solution? How do we, how do we deal with this? Yeah, it's a hard problem to solve, but 
a lot of people are trying to solve it now, and there's a lot of motivation to solve it now that it, it is exposed as this really horrific system. And as you said, as you're pointing out, it's highlighted right now, but the problems of pollution, worker abuse, animal abuse, it's really benefiting so few people. And that has been going on for decades. So it feels like the whole issue has really come to a head right now. And we have some opportunities for the first time in my career to really reform this system. And there's a couple ways to do that. One is through some of these COVID-19 relief packages that are coming out. And what we're really advocating for is money shouldn't go into just propping up a bad system, propping up a system that's, as you said, polluting communities, that's hurting workers, that's hurting animals. Instead, those relief packages that are coming out really need to think about reforming a broken food system. My wife, you know, we grew up in the 1950s as children. Her mother grew up on a farm in central Michigan. It was a grandmother's farm, and she used to go to the farm as a little kid. And it was a 100-acre farm, and they were pretty much self-sufficient. They had a couple of cows, and they had you know chickens and stuff like that. But they literally ate what they grew, and they treated their animals well, you know, as well as a food animal can be treated, I suppose, and slaughtered them in ways that they could live with, that were as painless as possible for the animals. <laughs> My wife and her brother used to name the animals, which made her grandmother crazy. But back then, I don't believe there were factory farms. I mean, you said this is just a moment ago, you said this has been going on for decades. Isn't this whole factory farm thing, industrial agriculture, using massive amounts of antibiotics and, and uh, you know, injecting them with hormones and stuff, isn't this all really recent? This really has come about in the last 40 years? Or, or did I just not notice them back in the 1950s and 60s? No, you're right. Factory farming as a methodology of creating protein was, was really created after World War II, and there were food shortages. So there was a bunch of subsidies created and incentives for consolidating in this way. But it, it sort of blew up, and the, particularly the, the pig industry and the chicken industry consolidated into this monopoly in our food system. And so you have a lot of the farmers, for example, in the chicken industry are living in complete debt. They're basically indentured servants, and they can't get out from under the thumb of big meat. And you can't have those small farms as easily. You can't just walk up to a slaughterhouse and bring your chickens. You can't to be contracted. Right. Would that have been back in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan suspended in 83, he suspended enforcement of the Sherman Antitrust Act. The result of that was these big ag companies were manipulating prices and running small farmers out of business. That was the decade when my wife's grandmother sold her farm. In fact. Right. And you had Willie Nelson doing his farm aid concerts and things. Mm-hmm. And this was the birth of the major industrialization of food from animals, right? Yeah, you're remembering correctly. And it, it was accelerated at that point, but it still goes on. In fact, some of the big uh, chicken companies right now are being investigated for price fixing, where they're keeping the price of chicken you know, at, at a high rate just so they can pocket more money. And there's there's a whole federal investigation going on into that right now. I mean, it continues. And this past month, we saw Trump issue an executive order just to force slaughterhouses to stay open. And what that executive order actually did is it shields meat companies from liability, where all these workers are getting sick and dying. They're now going to be protected. And that actually functioned right away. Smithfield had a lawsuit where workers were suing them over the illnesses and deaths that were being caused through through coronavirus, and the lawsuit was thrown out. And this is the, the, the corruptibility between, you know, 
It's a very serious thing where our protein production system, first of all, is so inefficient and puts so many people, so many animals in our environment at risk, and yet is propped up and supported and subsidized by our taxpayer dollar. And so we're fighting really, really hard at this moment because we feel like there's just, just this rare glimpse of hope where funds could instead go to reforming this broken food system and where particularly the HEROES Act, which is out for consideration right now. It it passed the House. It's going to the Senate now. Right now, the language includes repaying the industry for all of that horrible on-farm mass slaughter that we talked about at the beginning of this. And we think citizens around the country should be writing to their senators and say, that's outrageous. Taxpayers should not be paying for the industry to keep doing what it's doing in the way it's doing it in such a harmful way. Instead, they need to really hit reset on this on this system. It's time. It's time. Uh, you mentioned a lot of this is happening out of view. It's happening out of view because it's illegal to take pictures of a lot of these places. Are those laws changing? Some of them are getting worse. They're called ag-gag laws. It makes it illegal for us. It makes it a, you know, a jailable offense to take photos of abuse inside a factory farm. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, this is such a corrupt industry. It's, it's just mind-boggling. Leah Garces, really uh, president of Mercy for Animals, mercyforanimals.org, and Mercy for Animals, F-O-R, Animals is the Twitter handle. Thank you, Leah. Donald Trump risking the lives of thousands of people. Over 100,000 people work in the meatpacking industry nationwide. I think it's 137,000. You know, he's basically demanding that these meat places stay open meat packing, you know, which is basically where they're cutting up carcasses. Forks Over Knives is this brilliant movie that came out of, I believe it came out of the Cleveland Clinic, or at least it features the Cleveland Clinic, which is, you know, a world famous medical institution up there with like the Mayo Clinic. And what they found, they were doing this research decades ago, and they found that vegetarians had less heart disease, and then they found that vegans had way less heart disease. And then they found that people with heart disease could actually see that reversed when they put them on a vegan diet. So they have over on their website at ForksOverKnives.com seven things that happen when you stop eating meat. Number one, you reduce inflammation in your body. And we're not talking about the short-term inflammation, you know, like a, a, a wound or something. But this is chronic inflammation, which causes our atherosclerosis, you know, hardening the arteries, heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, and autoimmune diseases, among other things. Plant-based diets are naturally anti-inflammatory, high in fiber, antioxidants, and phytonutrients. They lower the inflammatory triggers, like saturated fat and endotoxins, which are found in meat, number one. Number two, your blood cholesterol levels will plummet. They will fall radically. Number three, you'll give your microbiome a makeover. The bugs in your gut will get healthier and things will work better, shall we say. Number four, you'll change how your genes work. Going on a plant-based diet actually, along with other lifestyle changes, can actually lengthen your telomeres. In other words, lengthen your life. These are the genes that you know determine how long we live. Number five, you'll dramatically reduce your chances of getting type 2 diabetes, which 38% of Americans have or are pre-diabetic. Number six, you'll get the right amount and the right type of protein. Contrary to popular perception, meat is not the only source of protein. In fact, vegetable protein is a higher quality than meat. And number seven, you'll make a huge impact on the health of your planet and its inhabitants. This at the time that, you know, that we have shortages of poultry, beef, and pork, and we've got stores that are literally having empty shelves. While 20 of our workers in these meatpacking plants have died, 6,500 have fallen ill. 
It's spreading from meatpacking plant to meatpacking plant. Governor Kim Reynolds in Iowa is telling meatpacking plant employees that if they stay out because they don't want to get sick, they don't want to die, that she's going to be the one who uh, is going to cut off their unemployment benefits. And meanwhile, the uh, fake meat, Beyond Meat and Impossible, Beyond Meat saw their shares jump 49% last month. People are moving from meat to plant-based meat alternatives. And if you really miss burgers, try an Impossible Burger. Whopper is open for you know window delivery or carryout. Burger King, rather, and the Impossible Whopper is actually pretty amazing. <laughs> and, you know, it really tastes like meat. I mean, so much so that you know, I, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, is this, a, is this real? Michael in Hickory Hills, Illinois. Hey, Michael, what's up? Asking your perspective if you have any insight on the small modular reactors that are being developed by Department of Energy and a few independent engineering companies. Do you see them as being a You're talking viable? the so-called pebble reactors? The main company is based out of Portland, Oregon, out there. I think they yeah. still use the standard uranium nuclear fuel, but nowhere near the scale of an existing power plant, right. nor the output either. But do you see these I still as think it's viable? a terrible idea. You're basically raping the land, you know, to mine the uranium. Uranium is not found in huge, solid deposits, so you have to get massive amounts of uranium ore and then you have to go through a very, very energy-intensive extraction process to extract the uranium out of that, and then you have to purify that uranium. All these things take an enormous amount of fossil fuel. The land is typically left as unusable. It's all radioactive, the tailings, the debris, and it's spread all over the place, and they do a lot of this on or near Indian land and on public lands. So anything that is using the products of uranium mining is by definition has a huge carbon budget to start out with because of all the fossil fuels involved in that and then how you dispose of the waste there's a lot of energy uh, resources used like you say to capture the material and process it but i just think down the road you know with air pollution climate change things that you've mentioned global warming i don't know that it's the absolute solution but i would think it would contribute to helping things be reduced, but it has a negative consequence. If it was carbon neutral, I would agree with you, Michael, but it's not. I mean, Helen Caldicott on this program pointed out that it takes the first, as I recall, it was like the first 15 years of operation of a nuclear power plant before you produce one kilowatt of power that is not associated with fossil fuels. It takes 15 years for a power plant to basically pay back that carbon budget that went into all the concrete that's there, that went into all the steel that's there, that goes into the mining of the uranium, the refining of the uranium, the transportation of the uranium. And that doesn't even begin to address the cost or the timeline for storing the waste. So I just don't see any possibility that these things are viable. I know that some people on the climate change movement are in favor of nuclear power. James Hansen, I believe, is one of them. You know, the original guy who turned us on to all this stuff. But I think they're wrong, personally, and and I would not support those kind of programs. Michael, thank you for the call. Uh, Thank you for a thoughtful call, too, uh, disagreeing with me. Meanwhile, all the Republicans had a meeting with Donald Trump at the uh, White House. The buffet I told you about, it was just announced. It turned out it wasn't a buffet. It was box lunches. Nobody wore masks. They didn't socially distance. I mean, this is getting weird. And Donald Trump, at that meeting... Speaking of the $600 a week that has been added to unemployment checks for 30 
what, 6 million, 36.5 million Americans now who are officially unemployed. If you're getting unemployment through your state unemployment department, and you, you know if you've been able to fight your way past the uh, computer system that's designed to deny you in Florida, for example, but if you have succeeded in getting unemployment benefits, you're getting an extra 600 bucks a week right now through the federal government. And this is something that Nancy Pelosi put together in the first or the second stimulus bill. Well, Lindsey Graham has said that that will be renewed over his dead body. Donald Trump has said that uh, he was opposed to it, too. He would veto any legislation that has it in it. Now, at the same time that the president, the Republicans in the United States Senate, and for that matter, the Republicans in the House who all voted against this stuff, at the same time that the entire Republican Party is saying, screw the American worker, no more uh, unemployment benefits, no more benefits of any kind, they need to get back to work. You know, quit being wusses. Right? If you want to walk into the White House, you have to have, you know, you have to have an instant COVID test. But anywhere else, yeah, you're a wuss, right? So at the same time this is happening, a, uh, a company out of the UK actually commissioned a poll in the United States. So one poll is the polling company. And they surveyed 2,000 individuals in late April, which is a pretty good sample for a national poll. It's, it's enough to get reasonably tight numbers. You know, you're in the, in the margin of error of plus or minus 2 or 3%. 76% of self-identified Republicans, 84% of self-identified Democrats said that the United States, it's time now for the United States to have universal single-payer health care. Universal single-payer health care, 76% of Republicans, 84% of Democrats. 63% of all Americans said that student loans should not have to be paid back during this crisis. of all Americans said the federal government should do more to help those who are unemployed. 58% said that there needs to be more financial support. Of course, that was skewed heavily towards Democrats. Germany passed a law last night. Actually, I'm not sure if it's a law. Is Germany to change labor legislation? Yes, they, they passed a law basically outlawing cheap labor in meat packing plants. Because they had this outbreak among these immigrant workers from Romania who were willing to work for a fraction of what Germans would work for. They had this massive, you know, it's, it's the same thing that we've got here in the United States with immigrant workers from south of our border melting down, you know, these outbreaks of, of COVID in meatpacking plants in Germany. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. The difference between us and Germany is that Germany's doing something about it. They're banning the practice, we're just banning testing. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Patricia in Portage, Wisconsin, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Patricia, what's on your mind today? Okay, I'm usually calling about trying to end slaughterhouses and help animals, but Mm -hmm. this virus came out of the wildlife markets in China. Correct. And that means it came out of a mammal, and it has jumped the species barrier to humans. Why can't it jump the human species barrier back to cows, pigs, chickens in feedlots? Or it may be able in- to, Patricia. Flu is carried by birds and by pigs. And in fact, the flu outbreak of 1919 came out of a pig farm in Kansas, as best we can tell. So, you know, it's, it's not impossible that this virus could move back and forth between humans and other animals. Yeah, imagine if it goes to a feedlot, nose to nose, they're all over the place, you know, crammed yeah. in, and right. then they go through and they're mashed into hamburgers by the thousands of animals per hamburger. 
and it goes out to the public. I mean, well, I think by then the, we cook meat, you know, and we disinfect meat and things. I, you know, I don't, okay. I don't see that as much of a problem. But you know, the possibility that it might mutate into a more virulent form inside of our, you know, I mean, I'm with you, Patricia. I think that our commercial factory farming, in quotes, of animals is brutal and is a public health menace. And when you add the high levels of antibiotics that are being given to these animals, I mean, we know, for example, I think it's H157 form of E. coli, the fecal bacteria that kills people, you know, shuts down their kidneys. You know, Mm -hmm. that came out of feedlots. That came out of industrial animal agriculture. It literally didn't exist before the 1980s or maybe the 1970s. People used to eat steak tartare, and they used to put raw eggs in in with their orange juice and put in the blender in the morning. Mm -hmm. I mean, my my wife's father, my father-in-law, has now passed away, but he used to do both those things. He'd put an egg in his, in his orange juice every morning. You can't do that anymore because now you've got these pathogens that have been subjected to antibiotics over and over and over and over again in these feedlots and have developed not only antibiotic resistance, but also have become more destructive. So we've already seen this and we really well, need to be reconsidering this. You know, sometimes manure of these animals goes on to lettuce and other things that aren't cooked. Yeah, and this is one of the ways that we end up with these E. coli and salmonella infections in our food, in our vegetables. It concerns me about the coronavirus because it came out of mammals, Mm -hmm. other mammals. And, you know, I I just wonder, you know, if some guy out in a feedlot passes it on to a cow, (laughs) it's like nuts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah my, my, my concern up. there would be that it mutates. Again, we're building the case, I think, Patricia, to have a national health care system. I'm you know? all with you. <laughs> yeah, and to eat a whole heck of a lot fewer animal products. I mean, you know, if we all dialed back on eating animal products, like most of the history of the human race, animal products were not central to diet. They were basically spices, essentially. If we were to do that, we would save a lot of lives. We would, you know, animals' lives, and we would save a lot of human lives. Tom Harvin here with you. We have climate disasters happening all over the planet. We've had our share of them here in North America as well. And one of the things that is feeding this is meat. The consumption of meat around the world is contributing about 10% of the greenhouse gases out there. So you've got, on the one hand, scientists, climate scientists, saying that we all need to eat less meat and revisit how we do agriculture. And then also you've got the Lancet, the British Medical Journal. This was a new report published in the British Medical Journal. Lancet recommends a largely plant-based diet. A group of scientists from around the world who studied nutrition food policy deliberated for three years and said that around the world, meat consumption should drop by 50%. Now, that's for health. That's to reduce the number of heart attacks, to reduce the number of strokes, to reduce the amount of obesity and the concomitant type 2 diabetes and problems that follow along with that. Another separate, completely separate study was published in the journal Nature that essentially said the same thing. In fact, here's the abstract health risks associated with meat consumption review of epidemiological studies. This was in the Journal of Nutrition Research. Consumption of increasing amounts of red meat, and particularly processed meat, is associated with an increased risk of total mortality, cardiovascular disease, colorectal cancer, and type 2 diabetes in both men and women. 
And that's even when you consider things like age, race, BMI, history, smoking, blood pressure, lipids, and physical activity. None of those things have as much impact, apparently, or enough to swing the, the variables as simply eating meat in terms of your risk of dying young. So you've got all that. And in my opinion, between you know, climate change and do you want to die young, meat has become the new tobacco. Remember how tobacco fought back? Mike Pence wrote an op-ed for one of the newspapers in Indiana back in 2000 saying, oh, tobacco doesn't cause addiction, nicotine doesn't cause addiction, tobacco doesn't cause cancer. Right. So now you've got kind of the equivalent of the tobacco industry. You know, the meat industry has one of these too. This is an amazing story. James Tapper writing for The Guardian. The headline, Red Meat Plays Vital Role in Diets, Claim Expert in Fighting Against Veganism. (laughs) Advocates of red meat will begin a fight back against the growth of veganism this week at the UK's biggest farming conference with claims that eating lamb and beef is vital because, drumroll, some plants and fish are being drained of their nutrition. Yes, factory farming has caused the nutrient level in our vegetables to drop by 50% over the last 50 years. In a speech at the Oxford Farming Conference, Alice Stanton will tell ministers, farmers, and environmentalists that key nutrients in some fruits, vegetables, and grains have dropped by up to 50% over 50 years. The solution, wouldn't you think the solution would be, how about farming practices that keep the nutrients in the soil so the plants can absorb them? Or how about farming practices where you're growing nutrient-rich species rather than ones that simply don't ripen rapidly on the way to the store or as they're shipped across the country? No, 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 no. Their response is, oh, you're lacking nutrients? You need to eat meat. I don't get it. Meat is pretty nutrient poor. I mean, if you want the nutrients from eating animals, you basically need to eat the entire animal. All those organ meats and brains and guts and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, like they did back in the old days. Just eating a burger, just eating muscle meat is not going to do it. So it's meet the new tobacco. So there's this virus coming out of a wild animal market in Wuhan, China, a city of 10 million people. And it has spread literally all around the world. And one of the people who died in China day before yesterday was one of the doctors in one of the hospitals that's treating these folks. Here we are, the United States of America, supposedly the strongest, richest, most powerful country in the world. In fact, you know, it looks like China is a little richer than we are, and their middle class is certainly much larger than ours, and et cetera. But, but here we are, you know, number one, and we are literally the only developed country in the world without a coherent national health care system and infrastructure. We have 20-some-odd million Americans who have absolutely no health insurance. We have over 100 million Americans. And frankly, I think you could make the argument that it's probably closer to 200 million Americans, particularly if you include the one-third of seniors who are on Medicare Advantage using privatized, for-profit health insurance rather than Medicare, that probably two-thirds of us are underinsured. Our insurance will crap out if we get really sick. And we're looking at a pandemic? I mean, this is the strongest argument that can be made for Medicare for all. 
a national single-payer health care system, like Canada has, like France has, like Germany has, like Spain has, like, like I mean, you know, fill in the blanks, right? Like every developed country in the world has a national health care system, except the United States. Now, President Obama tried to give us a national health care system. It was imperfect. It relied on the profit motive. It relied on, you know, heavily subsidizing the health insurance industry. But, you know, President Obama tried. I mean, this was, you know, a mid-step, God bless him, with Obamacare. And it would have covered everybody in America. It would have done it twice the expense of any other country in the world, with most of the profits going to the health insurance industry and the for-profit hospitals. But it would have worked. But John Roberts and four other conservatives on the Supreme Court blew a hole in the side of that, saying that Republican-controlled states could opt out of Medicaid expansion. And as a consequence of that, We've got tens of millions of people in this country with literally no health insurance and the possibility of a pandemic coming to our shores. And what do people who don't have health insurance or who are underinsured, who have $5,000 deductibles and they're that 50% of Americans who could not survive a $500 expense, what do they do when they get sick? They stay home. They're facing an economic hard times, and most of them are. We're talking, you know, the bottom half of America economically. If they don't go to work, they probably don't get paid because they're hourly rather than salaried employees, or they don't have sick time or sick days, or both. And so, you know, they go to work and they spread contagious diseases. You know, we got 35,000 Americans who die every year from the flu which is exacerbated by this exact same situation. The cook or the busboy or the person hauling plates around in the restaurant where you're going to eat this week almost certainly does not have health insurance. And if that person has the flu or has a virus or has anything and sneezes on their hands or sneezes on your plate, you wouldn't even know it. And boom, we're getting sick just from going out to dinner. Every other country in the world has figured out that a national health care system is part of their national security infrastructure. And in fact, this is how it was presented by Franklin Roosevelt, for God's sake, when he proposed it back in the 1930s. By Harry Truman, when he proposed it in the 1940s. By Lyndon Johnson when he proposed it in the 1960s. The Republican opposition to a national health care system literally goes back a half a century or more. I mean, you know, it goes back to the 30s. That's nearly a century. And a national health care system, first of all, it would cut our health care bill in half. We pay twice as much as Canada pays, and you don't see sick people in Canada as a result of their health care system. You don't see a situation in Canada where people go to work and spread diseases or don't go to the doctor and get sicker and sicker and, and infect more and more people because they can't afford to go to the doctor. You just don't see it in Canada. We have that here in the United States right now. Odds are the person sitting next to you on the bus or the, the Uber driver driving your car particularly if they're in the early stages of an infection when they're contagious, but they're not all that symptomatic, hasn't gone to the doctor, won't go to the doctor, because they can't afford it. 
Franklin Roosevelt, in his second Bill of Rights, said health care should be a right. And it's time, in my opinion, for all of us and for the Democrats. I mean, this is a, a marvelous opportunity for the Democrats who support a national single-payer health care system. Even if it's a watered-down one, like Buttigieg's. For Democrats who support a national health care system of any sort, but the one that actually covers everybody, like Obamacare was intended to do, to say, this isn't just about saving a trillion dollars a year. This isn't just about making sure that people have the right to get health care when they're sick, just, you know, a basic human right. This is also about the security of the United States, the national security of the United States. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Defending America from the conservative weapons of mass deception. Tom Hartman here right with you. They just sawed into some 15,000-year-old glacier ice that they got from the Chinese region of Tibet, these scientists. And what did they find? 33 groups of virus genuses. Now, keep in mind, the species is the smallest subset. So this is, these are whole families, essentially, not using literally that word in the scientific meaning. Groups of viruses, 28 of which were previously unknown to science. The researchers warn that in a worst-case scenario, one or more of these viruses... As one Twitter user said, we've opened up a Pandora's box of climate change. One or more of these viruses might be a human pathogen or a mammalian pathogen that could mutate to be a human pathogen like this coronavirus did in China. Because the permafrost is melting all over the world, Siberia is mostly permafrost, this 75-year-old dead reindeer bubbled up to the surface, and it could have easily have been a 7,500-year-old, because most of the permafrost is 10,000 years old, that had died of anthrax. Now, this part of the world hadn't seen anthrax since 1941. There hadn't been an anthrax outbreak. But 72 nomadic herders, 41 children were hospitalized. A 12-year-old died because this reindeer floated up to the surface, this dead reindeer. And down the road in Siberia, last year, they discovered in a thawed, in thawed-out permafrost, a 30,000-year-old giant virus, in other words, a, a more sophisticated, more modern kind of virus, 30,000 years old, that was still able to infect bacteria or single-celled organisms, amoebas. 30,000-year-old virus, still contagious. 22.5% of the Northern Hemisphere is permafrost, 50% of Canada's landmass, and it is melting right now. Dr. Richard Dixon points out that in some of the melting in Northern Europe, it has unearthed bodies, human bodies, that died from the Spanish flu in 1918. In another place, and I'm sorry, I don't have the exact city, it's just a reference to it, fragments of smallpox have been found. 
So ancient diseases or older diseases coming back to haunt us as a consequence of climate change. And in the face of this, the United States is the only country in the world without a national health care system to deal with these potential threats. How insane is that, scientifically speaking, or even just thoughtfully speaking? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. An extraordinary video over on YouTube right now that was put together by Greta Thunberg 
and George Monbiot, the columnist with The Guardian. And it explicitly says, please repost this, please rebroadcast this, please use this. And so I want to play this for you because it is extraordinary and it is thought provoking and it's shocking. And I've got a little rant, I guess, that I want to get into afterwards with us. So here it is right here. This is not a drill. My name is Greta Thunberg. We are living in the beginning of a mass extinction. Our climate is breaking down. Children like me are giving up their education to protest. But we can still fix this. You can still fix this. To survive, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. But this alone will not be enough. Lots of solutions are talked about. But what about a solution that is right in front of us? I'll let my friend George explain. There is a magic machine that sucks carbon out of the air, costs very little, and builds itself. It's called a tree. A tree is an example of a natural climate solution. Mangroves, peat bogs, jungles, marshes, seabeds, kelp forests, swamps, coral reefs, they take carbon out of the air and lock it away. Nature is a tool we can use to repair our broken climate. These natural climate solutions could make a massive difference. Pretty cool, right? But only if we also leave fossil fuels in the ground. Here's the crazy part. Right now, we are ignoring them. We spend 1,000 times more on global fossil fuel subsidies than on natural-based solutions. Natural climate solutions get just 2% of all the money used on tackling climate breakdown. This is your money. It is your taxes and your savings. Even more crazy, right now when we need nature the most, we're destroying it faster than ever. Up to 200 species are going extinct every single day. Much of the Arctic ice is gone. Most of our wild animals have gone. Much of our soil has gone. So what should we do? What should you do? It's simple. We need to protect, restore and fund. Protect. Tropical forests are being cut down at the rate of 30 football pitches a minute. Where nature is doing something vital, we must protect it. Restore. Much of our planet has been damaged. But nature can regenerate. And we can help ecosystems bounce back. Fund. We need to stop funding things that destroy nature and pay for things that help it. It is that simple. Protect, restore, fund. This can happen everywhere. Many people have already begun using natural climate solutions. We need to do it on a massive scale. You can be part of this. Vote for people who defend nature. Share this video. Talk about this. All around the world, there are amazing movements fighting for nature. Join them. It's extraordinary. So there's kind of good news and bad news on this front right now. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has shot down, or at least a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit has shot down what's referred to as the Juliana case, Juliana v. U.S. It's being brought by Our Children's Trust. 
It's a group of 21 young people who have sued the United States, saying basically by continuing to subsidize fossil fuels and, and the like, you are stealing our future. And two out of the three judges said, mm, you guys don't have standing. You young people don't have a right. You don't have standing to sue the United States government because the government is helping destroy your future. The court, in their ruling, striking down the case, acknowledged that there's a climate emergency. All three judges, I mean, the two judges who said, sorry, kids, you don't have standing, said, but there is a crisis. There is an emergency going on, and it's something that probably the country should do something about. And But it's just like, the way to do it is not through the courts. In fact, what they said was that the solution would not be in the courts. They said, quote, we reluctantly conclude that the plaintiff's case must be made to the political branches or to the electorate at large. In other words, this is something that needs to go forward in Congress and in state legislatures. And it will only go forward, obviously, in those venues if you and I and everybody else who is halfway paying attention and awake votes for candidates who put climate change front and center in their candidacy, who are willing to fight and work for saving our planet. And that's a growing number of politicians. This has now gone from being a topic that's only occasionally talked about to being at the center of Democratic Party politics. Tragically, the entire Republican Party is still sold out to fossil fuel interests and is still lying about this stuff, just like the entire Republican Party right up until the late 1990s was claiming that tobacco didn't cause cancer and wasn't addictive because they were taking money from the tobacco industry. Then that got all blown up with some lawsuits showing that the tobacco industry was lying to us all and had been for decades. They knew that they were killing a half a million Americans every year and still are, by the way. Now it's fossil fuel money is the stuff that the GOP is mainlining. So, you know, it's time to wake ourselves up and get out there and do something about this and A, electing people, but B, keep track of this case. I'll be keeping track of it on this program and on this show as we continue to move forward into the future. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better. 
David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Steve in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Steve, what's up? I learned a lesson when I was in sixth grade, this is the early 60s, that building a experiment to show how we deplete all our resources and expend all our waste, eventually we're all going to die. Yeah. And that taught me a great lesson about the future mm-hmm. of our planet. You put into a glass jar a male and a female fruit fly with unlimited resources to eat, and eventually they multiply and extend waste, and pretty much they all die. You know, in a closed system. Yeah, I mean, people don't get it that Earth is essentially a giant terrarium and, and that, you know, we need to uh, be thinking of it in those terms. Steve, thank you. Excellent point. I wanted to share a story with you that I think is a really important one here. As the world burns, more and more fossil fuels are being used every day worldwide. We're not seeing a reduction in fossil fuel production or consumption. We're seeing a steady increase around the world. And... Atmospheric carbon dioxide levels just this last week at the Mauna Loa Observatory in Hawaii. This is like, you know, the top of this giant mountain where they can get relatively pristine air and because they're out in the middle of the Pacific, it's not being influenced by nearby emissions like, you know, a power plant in the next state, that kind of thing. They just hit 416 parts per million. In the 300,000 years since modern human beings populated this planet. Carbon dioxide levels have never been this high. 
The fossil fuel industry has literally created an atmosphere to which the human species is not adapted. And as a consequence of that, I just saw there's a massive storm right now heading for Western Europe, a bomb cyclone. Now, I don't recall bomb cyclones even being a thing prior to about 10 years ago. But they're a thing because the Arctic is melting and large chunks of the Arctic have melted. And the result of that is that that ice cap up there, which used to stabilize the weather patterns of the northern hemisphere, are largely gone. And so you've got the jet stream doing all these drooly things that it never did before. And so you end up with weather patterns being far more slowly than they used to because the jet stream has weakened and it's not traveling as fast. And the result of that is that when you get rain, instead of getting one day of rain, you get five days of rain, which is called a flood. And when you get drought or a high pressure dry area, instead of getting a week of high pressure dry area, nice weather, you get a year of it or six months of it. And the consequence of that. You can see in Australia right now, the entire continent is on fire. You see it in California during the summer. Wildfire season is going to start in a couple of months here in the northern hemisphere. Sea level is rising. There was a huge chunk of ice just broke off of Antarctica earlier this week. We're seeing Greenland melting to the tune of billions of gallons of water an hour. This is something that our species, our human race, has never before confronted. And we're just at the very, very earliest part of it in terms of seeing the actual unambiguous changes, the cyclones and hurricanes and tornadoes and, and massive storms and high winds and floods and droughts and bomb cyclones. We're just starting to see this, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse unless we do two things. Number one, we have to stop producing these fossil fuels and burning these fossil fuels. And, you know, that's the, the, the we must do it. And the good news is that we now have the technology to do that. We have the technology to, to produce as a transportable liquid energy system, hydrogen, for example, which can be made by simply running electricity through water. It splits the water into hydrogen and oxygen. One element accumulates on the positive pole and one element accumulates on the negative pole, the cathode and anode. And actually, it's the other way around. And just take the hydrogen. Bill Gates just commissioned a super yacht that runs on hydrogen that you can make out of seawater. And you can generate the electricity to make that hydrogen with solar panels. There are possibilities. But here we just hit 416 parts per million. This should be a screaming headline all over the world. And as 17-year-old climate activist Greta Thunberg said, the saddest thing is that this won't be breaking news. And it truly is sad. And meanwhile, Donald Trump and the entire Republican Party continue to deny that this is even an issue. I mean, they're literally saying... This is not an issue. It's a, it's a hoax. The global warming hoax. Why? Because they're taking money from a multi-billion dollar fossil fuel industry and from a relatively small group of people who became billionaires in the fossil fuel business. At the head of that line, Charles Koch, but there's a whole bunch of others. And 
They've been funding the Republican Party and a few Democrats, too, although most of the Democrats that were denying climate change are now long gone, funding these things for years and years and years. And these politicians who are taking money from these folks, they want to continue taking the cash. I mean, it's like a money laundering machine. Make money poisoning the planet. Take some of that money. Give it to politicians. The politicians get to stay in power to allow you to continue poisoning the planet and deny the fact that you're poisoning the planet at all. If this doesn't qualify as a crime against humanity, frankly, I don't know what does. We are, we are looking at our planet becoming increasingly uninhabitable, our children and grandchildren's future becoming increasingly bleak. And it is only being taken seriously by a handful of countries around the world. When the solutions are right in front of us, I mean, this is the essence of the Green New Deal, is we now have the technology between solar power, wind power, wave power, geothermal, biomass, with all of these systems now, we can produce energy that can power the planet, that can power a standard of life that we're used to. I mean, the... 20 years ago, the argument against anything like the Green New Deal or even the argument against stopping burning fossil fuels was, well, you want to go back to live in teepees and and clothing yourself with animal skins? Well, we don't have to do that. I mean, we didn't have to do that then, but now we definitely don't have to do that. You can generate electricity right now using solar and wind cheaper in most parts of the world than you can using fossil fuels. But the world continues to subsidize the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $3 trillion a year, $600 billion of that every year right here in the United States. Coming out of your taxes, going right into the pockets of the fossil fuel billionaires. So it's time for us to wake up, and it's time for this to become, as as Greta Thunberg said, breaking news, that we are in a climate crisis It is one that the fossil fuel industry knew was coming and has known was coming since the 70s, arguably even long before that. But certainly, I mean, you look at the internal documents from some of these companies in the 70s and 80s, they absolutely knew what was coming down the road. And instead of doing something about it, they started funding people with scientific credentials who were willing to lie to the public about the dangers in order to maintain their profits. This is a crime against humanity. And we need to wake people up, share the word, and get active on this. All of us, right now. Tom Hartman here with you, and on the line with us is Ingrid Newkirk. She's got a new book out along with Gene Stone. It's titled Animal Kind, Remarkable Discoveries About Animals and Revolutionary New Ways to Show Them Compassion. Ingrid, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Tom. Ingrid Newkirk. Thank you. .com, by the way, the website, and of course, PETA.org, P-E-T-A.org. Tell us what you learned in researching this book. What were the most remarkable discoveries in your mind? Oh, boy, Tom, I thought I knew just about everything because I collect all this information about news reports of animal communication and intelligence and emotions and so on. 
But in researching the book, I learned huge numbers of things I didn't know. And it's hard to know where to start. But for example, you mentioned the intelligence test we talk about in the book. And there is one now called the gold standard of animal intelligence. I mean, take it or leave it. This is what researchers now use. And it's to show how intelligent an animal is. So it's called the mirror test. And if you can recognize yourself in the mirror, you're intelligent. Tribal peoples have problems with this. Chimpanzees have been able to think, oh, that's not someone attacking me, that's me. A little tiny fish called the wrasse who is also known as a teeth-cleaning fish, because you can watch this on National Geographic. Big fish line up for this little fish to go in their mouths and take out the debris between their teeth. This tiny fish can recognize herself in the mirror, and she not only recognizes herself, but she starts to preen, just like Kim Kardashian. Hmm. That's remarkable. I have one cat that does and two cats that don't. Where are we at? in this country, you know, around the world, obviously, there's a lot of things are much worse in many, many parts of the world than they are in the United States. But broadly speaking, where are we at in the way that we're treating our fellow, particularly mammalian, but across the species spectrum, our fellow animals on this planet? We tend to forget the fact that humans are our animals. Yeah, so we're always at war with each other. Our own species is always killing itself. It runs the spectrum, really, Tom, because we've come so far, and people, in part, thanks to the Internet and all the videos you see, people do realize that animals are thinking, they are feeling, they experience fear and love and joy, and they want to be free and all that sort of stuff. But we also are not only beginning what Joaquin Phoenix on the Oscars was talking about, this connectedness that we have to feel with all the other species, that we're all in this together, but we still do some atrocious things like trophy hunting, for example. Botswana just opened up elephant hunting for the first time in years. So that was a regressive step. And we still have so many animals in laboratories We've got rid of a lot of tests. We just got rid of the forced swim test where they drop these little animals into beakers of water and they struggle desperately. And the researchers just record how long it takes for them to stop struggling. I mean, ludicrous things like the Harlow experiments you mentioned. We're seeing an end to cosmetics tests on animals. That we're seeing an end to circuses that use animals. But on the other hand, we've got a long, long way to go. My wife and I became vegetarian in 67, 68, way back in the day. Maybe a year ago, I think it was, Arnold Schwarzenegger produced a movie for, as I recall, it's on Netflix. I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong. It's called Game Changers. And it's about yes. all these world-class athletes. I mean, literally, the strongest man in the world, the fastest woman in the world, these extraordinary athletes who are all completely plant-based diet, no animal products whatsoever, and they're not doing it because they're compassionate about animals. They're doing it because it's the optimal way to achieve good health and peak performance. And in the middle of the movie, one of the guys who's making the movies, his dad has a heart attack, and they put him on this diet, and boom, his heart disease resolves by six months down the road. I mean, it's just amazing stuff. Are we seeing major tipping points like we saw in the 60s, largely coming out of pacifism and spirituality, now coming out of health and this emerging sense of compassion that we're all sentient beings here on this planet. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Game Changers, I can't recommend it enough. I'm a Formula One race car fan, and the world champion is Lewis Hamilton. And Lewis is actually an ethical vegan. But once he became vegan, he has said nothing has improved his race more. And he is now, I think he's seven-time world champion. He's opened a vegan restaurant in London. And all these athletes, Rich Roll, you know, long-distance runners, there's a German weightlifter who can pull a truck with people in it, a school bus with people in it, all vegan. And so people say, where do you get your protein? And nowadays you think people are learning. You can have vegan anything you want. There are taste-alikes that aren't made from animal flesh and blood and milk and eggs and so on. But also it is cleaning out your arteries. It's getting you away from obesity, diabetes, you know, high blood pressure, cancer. So, yes. There is a huge health push. There is a huge push among athletes. You know, this, the Williams sisters, the tennis sisters, they are vegan too. And it's really exciting for many reasons. But compassion, obviously, is what we need to have for each other. And we need to learn more about animals and learn how they are not just like us. They are us. We're all in it together. People say, where are you getting your protein? And I said, well, you're eating dead cows and pigs. Where did they get their protein? And they give this blank look like, didn't you know cows are vegetarians? I mean, elephants are vegetarians. It's like <laughs> some of the most powerful animals, hippopotamuses, rhinos. I mean, they're, they're all they're vegans, I mean, essentially. So Stallions, yes. Yes. Oh, by the way, Tom, there was, I have to tell you, you know, we talk about human heroes, animal heroes I have in the book. But mm-hmm. one I didn't get into the book was during the L.A. fires. This horse was, I saw on the news, was about to be loaded into a trailer, and the horse farm behind him was completely enshrouded with smoke, and behind that was a fire. And suddenly, he heard something, his ears pricked up, and he ran back down the road and into this smoke-filled ranch, and everyone's heart was in their mouths saying, oh, God, don't go back in there. And he had heard a mare, Winnie, and he went back in, he found her, and the foal, and he led them all out to safety on the road. I mean, that's like the rock in some Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, that that is truly remarkable. It's a marvelous book. It's called Animal Kind by Ingrid Newkirk. Remarkable discoveries about animals and revolutionary new ways to show them compassion. Ingrid Newkirk, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom. The website's Ingrid Newkirk, spelled just like it sounds, and, of course, PETA, P-E-T-A dot org, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals. Wonderful stuff. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy really, I mean, the whole idea of democracy is the demos. It's us, right? The people. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 